Syzygy, episode 106, Star Eats Planet. Welcome back to another edition of the Syzygy Podcast. This is episode 106. My name is Chris Stewart and sitting opposite me at the round table in her office, Dr. Emily Brunsden. Emily, how you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. I'm looking at your whiteboard, still blank. I'm going to give you some ideas to fill it up today. Good, because it's disturbing. It's just it's just wrong. You shouldn't have a white whiteboard, a blank whiteboard. It should be filled with ideas. We have a bunch of stuff that we need to talk about today. In today's episode, we have a very clear topic that we need to get to. It's a little bit existentially terrifying, to be honest, but we'll get there. But before we do, a little bit of follow-up. Two things, actually. First of all, we're recording this at the very end of what is apparently, officially, I don't know who decides these things, Black Hole Week. Black Hole Week. Do we know who decided it was Black Hole Week? Um, is I'm, that a UNESCO thing? I, don't... I, I suspect it's someone who's involved in the research of black holes. <laughs> Probably. I mean, I decided that this is Black Hole Week. Um, so there's been loads of stuff all over the podcast world and the social media world from science and astronomy and astrophysics-based things all about black holes. Well, tell you what, we were there already in advance. If you want to know from Syzygy's point of view about black holes... Episode 104, just two episodes back, we did the whole thing. We did all, all the, the different holes. kinds. Yeah. We did all of them. So we were like two weeks ahead mm. of that game. So we're not doing black holes today, no. are we? No. The other thing that we need to, to go back to is last week's episode, 105, where we talked about everything that's going to the moon, like within the next couple of months. Mm. You know, there's lots of stuff going to the moon over the next several years. We just restricted ourselves to what's coming up in the immediate future. And Emily took us through, what, half a dozen yes. different moon missions yeah. Yeah. that are coming up just in the next, like, season, mm. spring, summer. Um, but there was one that we missed, apparently, Emily. Yeah, yeah, so I forgot to mention the one that was currently heading towards the moon as we were recording. Right, and which one was that? So this is one from a private company from Japan right. called iSpace. Right. So one of the first fully private moon missions to head off. Uh, it's called The mission itself was called Hak um, Hakuto R. Mission one. Okay, another very imaginative title. Mm. I don't know. I don't know what about the first part, but the second part, mission one. All right, yeah. that's yeah. that's ambition. That says there's going to be more than one. Yeah. So how'd it go? Well, set to touch down on 25th of April. Mm -hmm. Was all going well? Yeah. Till about 90 minutes before contact. Mm -hmm. And then we lost all communication. Oh, dear. That's never a good sign. Do we know what happened? Uh, not exactly, but it sounds like a bit of a splat scenario. Right. So the contact was a bit too too contact. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Sounds, it sounds like the spacecraft didn't have much fuel left and, yeah, going a bit too quickly. <laughs> too to fast. Yeah. Meeting, I mean, meeting the surface at a little oh, bit uh, yeah. of a too high velocity. It's that very last bit that's that's really hard. You know, getting, getting to the moon is hard enough, but then stopping at mm. the right speed and distance is even harder. Well, look, you know, our sympathies go out to the team. Hmm. Sorry it went that way. But look, as a as mission one, that's a that's a good effort. Yeah. You got there. And it looks like we're going to have mission two next year. So. Fantastic. So yeah. Good luck with that one. But uh, yeah, we missed that one out in last week's last week's episode. So glad we um, we we covered those bases because hmm. that was happening pretty much as we were recording. And you wouldn't have wanted to be too emotionally invested in that one anyway. Well, exactly. Yes, that could have been really sad. Maybe the the podcast would have been. And this really exciting things happening. Oh, oh well. So on to today's topic. Um, we're going to be talking about, as I said, something a little bit sort of existentially terrifying. Apparently, we've spotted, we collectively, the astronomical community, have spotted a planet 
being eaten by a star? Emily, what's going on? Who's found what? Yeah, there's going to be a lot of anthropomorph... Anthropomorph... Yeah, that, An- that anthropomorphizing. One. Yeah, 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 yeah. Stars eating planets. Yes. 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 So nom, nom, nom. Consuming. Yes. Nom. Yep. Yes. Um, yeah, so we uh, have observed, uh, for the very, very first time, the signal of a planet which has entered the atmosphere, or at least deep enough into the atmosphere of its host star, that it has been completely destroyed and therefore goners. Okay. So many questions, which I'm sure we will get to. But can we just clarify, are we talking about a planet which is sort of you know, spiralling down and and hitting its star? Or is this the star blowing up and going, I'm going to come out into the orbit of you and I'm going to eat you up? Which which one of these is it? It's actually a little bit of both. Oh, exciting. Okay. All right. So what do we start with? Who? Who's, yes. who's done this? Yeah, so this is from Kishley, um, D and Al, Food. so they all, um, well, not all of the authors, but several of the authors and the lead author certainly come from MIT. Okay. So they have been working with um, the a couple of the telescopes and the Palomar Observatory, which is in Southern California. Uh, and the, the big one that kind of tricked uh, set in motion, let's say, this whole kind of chain of events of observing, which we're going to look at, was the Zwicky Transient Facility which is one of the famous in the astronomy world uh, sort of transient surveys. Now, you're going to ask me the next question. Unless you already know everything no, about no, transient no. surveys no, no, no. and we, we what, can just move on. What is a transient survey? I mean, can I take a guess? You can. This is a yeah. survey of of transient, transient being something which happens over only over a short-term period, yeah. like, like something going in front of something else, yeah. for example. Indeed, yeah. yeah. So basically looking at, and there's loads of these surveys that go on all around the world, um, looking at the sky and saying, does anything unsurprising happen? Does anything go suddenly bright? Right. Does anything right. go suddenly faint? Right. As opposed to, hey, look at all these things. It's, yeah, but but what changed from that frame to that frame exactly. really quickly? Yeah. Yeah. So Zwicky is one of the famous um, surveys that's... Who under, was, and who was Zwicky? Zwi- that, Zwicky? That's a he good was question. A, he was a name. Yeah. He was... If I remember correctly, he was actually not a very nice guy. We'd have to—I'll have to look him up. I'll look him up and I'll put the note in the in the show notes. He yeah. was an astronomer yeah. and a very famous astronomer, and apparently, yeah, bit of a character. Anyway, we'll so transient surveys are often set up to look for things that you might expect to be kind of sudden astronomical events. So supernova is a big one, right? right. Uh, flares, stars that do massive flares. We've got uh, even binary star mergers. You might see flashes from them. So all these kind of Things that you don't, you can't predict. You don't necessarily expect that this particular object is going to go flash right now. So what you do is you just you just wait, you survey, and you wait to to see one. And then when you see one, you can trigger alert systems for follow up work and so on. Right, right. So transient can mean like it 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 means temporary, mm. but temporary can mean different things. Temporary can be really quite quick or. I mean, I'm guessing, you know, a supernova happens quite quickly, but the effects of it go on and on and on. And so Mm. transient could also mean changing over a longer period of time. Yeah. And actually, while I gave you just three examples of very high energy events, um, there's also loads of them like uh, near-Earth objects can be classed as transients because they sort of come into view quite suddenly. They come and go. Yeah. Comets, things like Mm -hmm. that can be picked up. So there's lots of interesting stuff that changes night by night in the sky. Speaking of interesting stuff that changes... Can you hear that? Thunder. Yeah. There's rumbles of thunder well, going the, the through. Well, the RAF were doing some of their <laughs> practice. No, I think, so, so I've always got I to think, think there twice. is a storm out there. Yeah. Anyway, if it, if it all suddenly goes very crackly, listener, you know what happened. We got hit. Okay. Mm. 
Um, yeah, so this um, this survey is really it's one of these lovely surveys. It looks at the entire northern sky over the course of about three nights. Right. So a huge field of view on the cameras and they just kind of point at that bit of sky then take a picture and then next bit of sky and then next bit of sky. And, and once upon a time, these would have been things which literal human beings with literal eyes would have looked at from one plate to the next and gone, that, that bit there. That bit got brighter, but presumably yeah. we don't do that anymore. Yeah. Presumably we have machines that Absolutely. do the looking for us. Absolutely, yeah. So we've yeah. been made redundant from the observing process itself. So the whole mm-hmm. telescope is, you know, robotic. It just does its thing. You right. Just, oh, yeah, I haven't looked at that bit for a while. I'll go and look at that bit. Um, so the actual survey mechanism is robotic. And then, yes, the, the detection of something being different is all done by computers. So right. all done looking at how does this change this frame from the last time I took that picture? Is there anything interesting? If there is. I'm just going to fling a little email to whoever to say, hey, look, I found this thing. Is it interesting? Go and have a look. Cool. Just be a little bit careful not to go too too, far, too far away. Too far that way. Just, right, yeah. Yeah. You can move around a bit, but you were tending to lean a yeah. bit too far over. So, okay, from this survey mm-hmm. uh, and from that instrument, we have seen a transient event. Yeah. Fantastic. But somehow we take the leap from that, we've seen something, to, ah, you know what that was? That was a star gobbling up a planet. So take us on that next bit of the journey then. How do we know this? Yeah, so this research team, we're particularly looking at things like binary star mergers. So two stars that are in very, very close orbits that, again, you've got some kind of energy loss mechanism. So they're spiralling down and eventually merge. And what kind of, like, that kind of energy loss mechanism? Like, why are they spiralling down? It's Well, it's sort of, you get to a certain, there's two different effects that happen when you've got an orbit, effectively. And this is going to be true when we talk about the planet, and it's going to be true when we talk about the Earth and the Sun. Yeah, so to move an object further away in its orbit, then you need to, the easiest way to do that is to change the mass of the central object. Okay. Right? So in the case of, say, a planet going around a star, if the star gets less massive, then that planet will move further away. Right, with its with its just present energy and speed and yep. so on. It's, it's, you're losing angular momentum out of the system, effectively. Right. Okay. That's what happens. Okay. So that'll fling you out a bit. Yeah, so that'll okay. push you out a bit. It, I guess equally, if you added mass to that centre of that system, then you would move closer. Okay, sure. That's a harder scenario to imagine in terms of stars and planets. But sure, I'm yeah, I'm struggling to imagine how you would just suddenly throw or remove a bunch of mass from a star. But I'm sure yeah. there are mechanisms. But you've also got a competing effect with that, which is drag, right. so friction. Okay. So I think, as we've mentioned, probably quite a long time ago. So it's worth reiterating: the sun doesn't just stop. It's not a solid sphere, and that's like this is the sun. Here is its edge, and then after that is just completely empty space. Right. It looks, and in all the pictures, it just looks like a ball, mm. but it's got a very hazy, fuzzy edge to it. Well, it goes yeah. out on really long way. Exactly. I mean, solar physicists would argue that we, the Earth, indeed orbits inside the atmosphere of the sun. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. To yeah. some so extent. It's, it's a very long way away from that image of the solid ball. Yep. Yeah. So, of course, you when you're if you can imagine you, you are orbiting inside the atmosphere of something, then you get drag. So yeah. that's friction that slows you down. You're losing energy. So if you're losing energy out of your system, then indeed you're going to start moving in as right. well as you, as you go 
Um, so you right. kind of I mean, will the, move the, closer to your star. The extreme version of that is if you if you just had something which wasn't orbiting around the sun at all, was just you know standing still in space, whatever that means, then it would just start accelerating straight towards the sun, mm. right? And so the slower you're going in a particular orbit, you know, slow down a bit, you're going to start moving in towards the sun, mm-hmm. which, yeah, that's what drag's going to do. And so that's presumably happening to all planets to some degree. Yeah, and indeed in a binary star system, if you, yeah. they're kind of sharing a little bit of matter as so atmosphere, then you're going to get drag effects. Right. And if you typically these are stars towards the end of their lives, so there might be some mass loss effects as well that are com- kind of competing. They're all, there's all sorts of weird and wonderful systems right. out there. Weird and wonderful and messy, and all of these things take you away from the platonic ideal of two balls orbiting each other forever. Mm. Um, that's not the real universe at all. Okay. So binary stars and binary star mergers happen. So that's indeed what these uh, this team were looking for, and that's fine. Then they looked, saw this event, and this event is now the name of this star planet system because that's how it was detected. Right. We hadn't paid attention to this place before. No. We just went, oh, interesting. Yep. Uh, it's called ZTF. Start stands for Zwinky Transient Facility. Sure. Yep. Makes sense. Uh, SLRN. Not sure what those ones stand for. Didn't check those ones. <laughs> I'm sure they're very interesting. Um, 2020. Okay. Because this was discovered in 2020. Yep. All right. Good. So we yeah. have a name. Once yeah. again, not a particularly interesting ZTF, name, but there's SLRN a lot of things. SLRN 2020. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of things in the universe. You need a, you need a pattern. Yeah. So we've got a name. We Good. had an event and it was kind of like a bit of a flash where um, this was happened. The actual event happened in May 2020. You had this kind of rise in brightness and then sort of, the the object went f- about a couple of hundred times brighter than it was in previous images. Uh, stayed there for about sort of ten days or so, and then just really slowly faded. Not not actually a huge amount, but about ten times from what it used to be over the next kind of six months. Or so, so sorry, it went up by a factor of ten. Went up by a factor of a hundred. Oh, hundred. Yep. Or a few hundred even. Right. And, and then, then sort of sat there for 10 days. And then slowly came then down. Then slowly came down over the next six months, but only only about 10, a factor of 10 down. So right. if it did so go, it stayed considerably brighter yeah, than it so was in the first place. Yeah, so it's still considerably brighter okay. than That's, it I mean, used to be. Is that, like, that sounds like a lot, going up by a factor of hundreds. That's a lot of brightness. That's a lot of stuff going on there. Yeah, I mean, it is and it isn't. And it depends what you're comparing it to. I mean, supernovae are pretty extreme examples. I'm just thinking about a star and a star just just by itself, just, you know, just 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 being a star. There's like, there's a lot going on. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of brightness there. Turn that up by a factor of, let's just call it 100. Just. Sure, it's not a supernova. We've already established in past episodes, you don't want to be anywhere near a supernova. Let's just put that in a category by itself, right? Mm. But even just turning the sun up by a factor of 100 that, feels to me like we'd notice that. Yeah, yeah. That's that, quite that a big deal. That wouldn't be good. No, you're right. You're right. Okay. It, it would be a big deal good. for us. I'm glad I'm not imagining yeah. that because that does sound like, oh, something really did just happen there. Yeah, indeed. So, yeah, it's, it's worth looking into, right? Sure. Something yeah, yeah. like that. So this is this is where the, kind of the story of the follow-up observations kind of takes place. And I guess this is where I tried to sort of pull out from the – the the nature paper and from uh, some of the news articles like this, what are the story of the astronomers doing this because they, they you see this thing and you think oh that's kind of interesting that's not how usually how these binary star mergers happen they're typically a little bit brighter and they certainly don't tend to uh, stay as bright for as long right okay. as this event has so it's worth investigating right it piques your interest yeah yeah we want to know what's happening here 
Yeah, so the first set of follow-up observations we got came from two observatories, actually, that did simultaneous or close to simultaneous um, observations. We had CAC in Hawaii, right. which I think we've mentioned before. Yeah, up on, up on top of the big mountain yeah, there. Yeah, big, big telescope there. They um, took some spectra. So we took the light from this patch of sky and sort of broke it up into its constituent wavelengths to see what's going on what are, what are the chemical elements going on right. particularly in this object because okay. that and gives us a clue what what sort of things can that tell you how do you like how do the chemical elements come into it well in a, for example in the case of a binary star merger what you'd expect to see is that okay there's lots of temperature there's lots of energy there's lots of heat so you expect the hydrogen and helium to be um, what we call emission lines which means that the hydrogen and helium got really really energetic and then as they've sort of cooled it down and released some photons then we see loads of hydrogen photons loads of helium photons from these two stars right there's a there's a there's a particular signature that I mean, for for all the elements, but for hydrogen and helium, we're looking at those particularly because stars have lots of those. Mm, And so mm. if two stars bang together, you'd expect to see a big fingerprint of, there's a lot of hydrogen and helium getting very excited. That's probably two stars. Yes. Okay. Didn't see that. Right. (laughs) So (laughs) So no emission, no hydrogen or helium in emission. Right. So So conversely, not two stars. That's that's what is... Yeah. In fact, no emission, which means, you know, excitation of any sort of chemical species at all, really. Right. So nothing of significance. So odd. Yeah. um, So lots of energy. I mean, it's got a lot brighter, but it's not giving a signature of two big things bashing together. stars. Or indeed, some of the other things which you would think, you've checked off the case, not a binary star merger. What else could it be? Um, You're next on your list of kind of things to think about what what it might be is something called a nova. I think we've talked about Nova quite a while ago. Uh, yeah, I seem to remember it. So not supernova, no, but just, just, just plain old Nova. Garden variety Nova or right. even dwarf Nova. Ooh. Yeah. So uh, a Nova is um, when you have a little white dwarf star. So these are the compact remnants of sort of ordinary stars like the sun. You get rid of all their outer layers. They go through this whole process of evolution and they're kind of this little lump of carbon, oxygen, right. that sort of thing. They're not big enough to form really interesting. Interesting things like, you know, neutron stars or black holes or that kind of thing. They just end up as lumps of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got one of them kicking around, but you've got one of them kicking around in a binary system again with a bigger or star which or a star which is currently bigger. So it's a big puffy red gianty star, and that big puffy red gianty star is kind of shedding some of its mass onto the white dwarf. Right. And it can cause kind of some instabilities and flare-ups effectively on the white dwarf that we call novae because they just sort of go, woo. They're very energetic, but they're nothing like a supernova. No, no, no. Supernova, so supernova, actually there are types of supernova, particularly type 1As, which are that exact kind of system, except that's what happens when you pile on too much stuff onto the white dwarf and the white dwarf just collapses under its own mass, basically. Right, just starts this whole process of, okay, fine, end of life again. Yeah. Whereas the novae... Is just oh, this is complicated. It's this is some, this is just energetic. This is yeah. uncomfortable. It's all kind of surface explosions, right. Compared to the explosion of the whole star, okay. effectively. Okay, so yeah. could be 
could be that what they saw was a nova. Yeah. Yeah, turns out. Yeah. Uh, so, no, you'd expect to see some atomic emissions still. You'd okay. expect to see a, maybe a little bit of hydrogen or helium if that's the atmosphere of the, the mass that's yeah. coming on or yeah, even yeah. the carbon that's on the white dwarf. Just something. Nothing. Nothing. Something. It's not that. Yeah. Okay, cross no. that one off. Yeah, and the same for um, the dwarf nova, which are kind of just smaller versions of the same process. We don't, well, we don't actually know exactly what causes a dwarf nova, but it's small scale. Similar sort of stuff. It's, yeah. it's material in a binary system, material falling onto the white dwarf yeah. and causing energetic stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's not that. You're no. not getting any of the right signals no. here. No, so you're not getting any kind of explosive outburst here. Okay. So that's kind of confusing, right? So yeah. you think, hmm, that's a bit odd. Now, I mentioned they were doing two sets of observations at the same time. Now, these were both taken about six months uh, after the original uh, rise in brightness. Uh, the second set of observations came again from Palomar, but from a different telescope. So they were using uh, the 200-inch, which I think is called the Hale Telescope. Uh, and they were looking at infrared parts. So instead of looking at optical, so what we see going into the infrared, so just beyond in the infrared, what you see. And this is where they started to see some interesting stuff. Okay. So I've got a quote here from the lead author. It says, we noticed that it was insanely bright in, in the, the infrared. infrared. What does that mean? Insanely bright. So I mean, very, clearly very scientific. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, this is, this is an astronomer who's barely keeping a lid on. Yeah. <laughs> Getting, you won't believe what we just well, saw. There, there are other quotes from the, from the lead author saying things like, I nearly fell off my chair. Which, <laughs> love it. It's, you know, this is exactly how research yeah, works. this is cool. So, so why the excitement? I mean, I'm, I'm sure when you're an astronomer, anytime you see anything which is like, there's a lot of that going on here like that's interesting but in a circumstance where we've just seen something and we're striking things off the list it's not that it's not a nova it's not a you know two stars colliding and then you look in the infrared and you see a lot insanely bright mm -hmm. what does that mean what do you what information are you getting from that so that's telling you that there's in this case a lot of dust oh okay. so Dust, uh, astronomical dust, sort of part, but it's very small particulate matter, uh, usually things like silicates, granites, that kind of thing. Okay. So pulverized rocks into very, like really tiny particles, like micron size. So I think the, the typical um, size comparison is cigarette smoke. Right. So really tiny. This is this is dust, and dust um, tends to absorb radiation and re-emit it very strongly in the infrared. Okay. So that's why we're seeing this really bright signal. And if you kind of add up all that signal and say, well, there's this much brightness in the infrared, how much dust is there? It turns out it's quite a lot. <laughs> a lot. Very dusty. Up Something there. Very like smoky. a third of the mass of the Earth worth of dust. It's quite a lot. Yeah. So you took the third of the Earth and pulverized it into this <laughs> dust. Right. So what does that mean? What are we seeing Yeah, here? so we've got some kind of dustiness sure. happening on the outside of the star. Some of it probably came from the star itself. Um, are stars generally dusty places? Well, not, not typically. Not I mean, they, they are in some situations, but you wouldn't necessarily expect it from just the fact that you had this brightening event. So that's another sort of little okay. puzzle. Eyebrow raised. We yeah. have several eyebrows raised now. So it's almost like you've got several jigsaw puzzle pieces, but there's big gaps in between yeah. them and you're just trying yeah. to... The, big, the, big, the, the middle part of the jigsaw is still missing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then so there's some further ob IR observations that came from NASA's space telescope called uh, NEOWISE. Okay. So NEOWISE is a, 
I've already said it. It's a space telescope. It's up there. <laughs> it's up there. It's yeah. in space. It's, it's doing not James Webb. No, but it's no, yeah. but it's one. Is it a new one? It's an old one? No, it's been Don't remember for a while, us talking Neil about Neil Weiss, but we might have. I might have mentioned it, but yeah. It's what kind of telescope? What's it? It's looking in the IR. IR, yeah, infrared. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, and observations from that you can sum up in the infrared to see kind of well how faint or how how big an object would potentially. B, if it was a, if it was an impact scenario, you know, you have, could you have two stars that would impact? Would it be a star and a smaller star, a star and whatever? Right. You can sort of figure out how much mass worth of energy has been generated out of this event. Right. And that number came out to be something like a thousand times smaller than the sun. Okay. So we're now well and truly into planet territory there yeah well, i mean what's what's the what's the ratio of mass of sort of your jupiter's to your sun jupiter's about a thousand times about a thousand i thought it was smaller than the sun yeah i mean earth's a lot smaller but that's like we're talking planet size right yeah yeah so you put that into the mix so we've probably got something or at least the amount of energy that's been released is something about a thousand times smaller than uh the sun then we've got some. We do have some images as also. I mean, that was you. You knew you were going to go and yeah. try and take some pictures. What? What is this thing? What is this there? Um, again, from Gemini, which is um, Gemini South, and uh, that which is in Chile. And the images sort of found a tiny, faint, fuzzy blob. Okay. In the right place. Sure. So. So okay. there's there's something there, which there's is always, there. nice, it's always nice good to, to know, know. That, that what we've just seen actually exists. Yeah. So you, you take the fact you've got a, a fuzzy blob star. We've got a spectrum and we actually, I didn't mention it before, but from those spectra we can see some really good signatures of what type of star that is. So we didn't have all that emission that we'd expect from an energetic event, but there's lots of um, absorption from molecules and that gives you a really good clue that this is a very cool star. Okay. Cool in the temperature sense, not in the, hey, hanging out kind of sense. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. so, So hot stars, you've got... Like nothing can exist apart from hydrogen here right. on the surface. Yeah, right. it, you know, as, as soon as you try to bang a couple of at- atoms together to make a molecule, they rip apart again. But yeah. cool as stars, you can actually get you molecules. You have lots of molecules right, on the surface, okay. yeah. So there's quite like, distinct signatures right. of, well, they could even called a molecular band. They just wipe out half your spectrum. And right. <laughs> right, yeah, because, the, I mean, the, the fingerprints of molecules are like complex. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot going on with molecules. There's loads of different ways that they can emit energy, hmm. which makes things complex. But am I am I right in guessing that if you've got this this you know you've got a picture of a white blob, we can tell it's a cool star, mm-hmm. and we just wouldn't expect any of this stuff going on with a cool star like this. Well, there's no so, reason for it to do anything super weird, sure, right, on its own. Sure. Um, in fact, yeah. So we're saying cool. I mean, this is. I've looked up. Temp- they're thinking the temperature is kind of around three thousand six hundred Kelvin degrees. Whatever. It's close same. enough. Yeah, close um, enough to Celsius. Yeah. Compare that to the sun, five thousand eight hundred. Right. Okay. So, so it's, it's a lot cooler. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and in fact, it's the spectral class of it is an M four three. That means nothing to me. Translate. Yeah. Okay. So M, very cool star. Okay. That's basically the end of the whole spectrum of hot to cold okay um and three the the m4 just tells you whether it's like an m5 is slightly cooler than a m4 for example all right it's just a part of that classification the three tells you it's a giant so it's really really big okay um 
in the paper they actually talk about it being very similar to uh, quite a famous giant star called HV2255. Oh, that one. Never had it. Yeah, actually, I couldn't find a lot of information about it either. But they, they said it was white, famous. But okay. I'm, I'm not, yeah, cool. Uh, but okay, so HV2255 is one of the largest stars we've ever oh, right. measured. Like ish. it's on that scale. Of, yeah. No, we're not just talking big. We're talking, we're talking like those videos that you see on YouTube of, you know, going from small star to big star and your brain explodes. This is at the far end of that video. Yeah. These are big, big stars. So, yeah, so HV2255, they reckon, is more than a 1,000 times the size of the sun. Wow. That's pretty big. But it's not big like you might think, oh, massive, really hot, raw star. It's actually very, very cool It's just on the spread surface. out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So these are stars that are going through the, the final throes of their, their lives where um, they're, they're still fusing sort of helium and maybe some other things and deep, deep, deep down in the cores, but they're trying to hold up all these outer layers, but the outer layers are expanding because of the increased photons that are coming from these extra nuclear reactions in the core. It's, it's all of the kind of final death throes in a sense. And, and what's the ultimate fate of such a star? What happens when it runs out of fuel? So, well, it's going through this whole process. It's losing its atmosphere. So it's kind of uh, the atmosphere is getting so big and so cool that it can't even hold on to its atmosphere. If it gets little shocks of instabilities and you get mass loss, so it's kind of puffing right. out almost like, I don't know, I imagine these kind of like, you know, those mushroom puff balls where yeah, you get sort of puff just, and then just losing just bits. Stuff just, yeah. goes out into off into space. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're losing mass at sort of reasonable rates at, at this time in their lives as well. So this is one of those. Yeah. Okay. It's, it looks pretty similar to this. So um, the actual mass of the star is not particularly different to the sun. It's kind of maybe, maybe around about a solar mass. Right. But it's, but it's huge, yeah, huge in so size very, and diameter. Very um, rarefied, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Okay. So kind of cool yeah. kind of star, isn't that's it? A, that's a cool thing well, to come across. Literally a cool yeah. star, but yeah. also... Cool and also in the hey yeah. kind of way. Yeah. So putting... Let's summarise. Yeah. Pull all our of information Where together. Where have we got to? We've got this enormous M43 giant yeah. star that's in the process of mass loss, right? It's a very, very cool surface. Uh, it's not merging with another star because that would cause a much brighter event to happen mm -hmm. and we would see emission lines in the spectrum. We'd see that spectrum, yeah. yeah. Similarly, it's not going through any kind of nova uh, explosions because we would also see that in the spectrum. Strike that off the list. We've got this clue that there's this really, this, this dust that's happening around this star and, and that's coming and from the infrared. And a fair amount of it. Yeah, a yeah. third of the Earth of yeah. dust. And... That we've got this the energy that's been sort of released by this brightening event is really quite small. It's a thousand times smaller than the energy that a star of the sun's size would release. Sure. So when you put all of that together, mm. where do you get to? So you end up with looks like the this particular star swallowed a planet around about the size of Jupiter. Right. Because that's like there's no other that they can see. There's no other models that say, you, you just can't reproduce this mm. unless 
you gobble up a planet. Yeah, sometimes, you know, it does what it says on the tin. If you, <laughs> if you see what appears to be... But, but walks like a duck, so, <laughs> sounds like a duck. Yeah, something, a duck. something the size of Jupiter got consumed by the star. I think it probably was a planet the size of Jupiter <laughs> yes, then. Yes. Hmm, what's the simplest explanation here? <laughs> yeah. So all of that dust, is mm. that what, is that the remnants of that planet? Like a, what's, what it's is It's a bit that? of the planet, it's a bit of the star. So right. um, what seems But it's, to, the, it's the remnants of that process of we just had a planet that just got ripped apart, eaten by, encompassed by mm. a star, and that just leaves you with a lot of dust. Yeah, yeah. So we think that we've sort of got some evidence that the this particular planet skimmed the surface of the atmosphere of the star maybe for about nine months before this brightening that event. That must have just looked wild. Yeah. It'd be great if you could actually see these things. I mean, I mean, you can imagine just this ball, just, you know, the the, the drag of all the, the outer material of the star just going around it because it's going quite quick, right? Yeah. These are, this is a planet that's close to its host star. Um, its orbit was probably less than a day before it was eaten up. Wow. So, yeah, it was whipping around, right? Um. And so it was, yeah, being, it was just in this, in the atmosphere of the star. It was being dragged, 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 lots of friction. Therefore, it was losing energy, um, moving closer and closer and closer to, you know, the center of the star, effectively. And then it got to the point where it just sort of broke apart, released all this light that we detected in the transient survey and uh, a lot of dust just emission as well. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, the, the mental image of that is is extraordinary. The fact mm. that we can describe that scientifically is wild. Just it'd be so cool if we could actually see it. But yeah, one day, and that's what that's what wow. animators are for, oh, right? Indeed, that's why we indeed. Have. And I reckon we have seen probably the closest that we will ever see, at yeah. least you and I, um, to this kind of event. It wasn't a planet being consumed by a star mm-hmm. but we do have actual real photographs and videos and everything else of a comet going into a planet was that jupiter was yeah that, yeah when was that yeah so that was shoemaker levy that's right yeah comet yeah. shoemaker levy impacted the surface of jupiter and we saw the disruption in the clouds of jupiter well, we saw we got infrared images of the impact event itself and then yeah the disruption that well, happened because sort of, it broke apart didn't it yeah. so weren't there like collisions over a period of was it days yeah, I remember. When was that? Was that it was the, around about ninety-seven? Something. Can say like in that. the nineties. Yeah, yeah. Again, yeah. Well, we'll put a Beautiful put a, put a link in the show, yeah. show notes because yeah, that was wild. I mean, that's the image that pops yeah. to my mind when we're yeah, talking yeah. about this kind of thing. You know, planet breaks apart and then just kind of gets subsumed mm. into the. In this case, it's not you know the cool quote unquote outer ad, it, um, atmosphere of a planet. It's actually the really hot plasma of a, a star. Yeah, but, but you're right. That's probably the closest that uh, that we can we can have to something we. Where we've actually taken pictures of it, which mm. is which is pretty cool. Okay, so that's really exciting. Mm. The fact that we've seen. Do we have we seen this before? Is no. this the first time this we've is seen the this? Very first time. But I think there's probably an element of which we're not really that surprised. Okay. In the sense of we totally expected to find these things, right? Right. Okay. So if you look at kind of the the state of the nation um, of exoplanets and what we understand about exoplanets it kind of seems obvious that we should detect these kinds of events right and then what i mean by that is that there is actually a lovely 
paper, which I'm going to go and dig down and read in really wonderful detail. And this is one of the topics I'm going to put up on the whiteboard of the, the lovely, state of the nation of exoplanets. The science. lovely thing about Emily doing all of this research. I mean, you know, I just I just get to turn up and then do the editing afterwards of the podcast. But Emily does all the research. And the lovely thing is I get to turn up in her office and she goes, OK, I went down some rabbit holes for this one. Yeah. And occasionally those rabbit holes turn into their own entire episode. So maybe this is one of those. Mm. Oh, absolutely. It's a, it's a lovely paper. I haven't even read half of it. Right. I've just looked at some of the but figures. what's it on? It's just about what do we know about except It's a summary review article. Right. Of Where are we at? What do we know? Which is very helpful because it saves me reading thousands of papers, <laughs> right, which I wouldn't do anyway. So. A good service to all astronomy kind. Well, it, it, they're, they're brilliant. I love review papers because they, they, they do represent a stupid amount of work by mm-hmm. the people who write them, but they, they present information in a really nice, concise way. So, so what does that tell us about the frequency of these sorts of things? Well, we do know that we have lots of planets in our solar system, in our solar system, in our galaxy. Planets going around other stars in our galaxy that had very short periods. Right. 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 And I mean, a lot of these were the ones that we found pretty early on as well. Indeed. Some of the first, yeah. Because let me see if I get this right, okay? Mm. Because they're generally big Mm -hmm. and bigger means easier to spot. Mm -hmm. And because they're so close, they're going around really quickly, which means you get a lot of transit events, which means you can be pretty sure that it's an exoplanet much faster. Yeah. Because yeah. it's, it's crossing in front of the, the star much more often. Hmm. So well, easier indeed, to it's see. Not, it's, not just, it's not just transits. Actually, I think the first ones even came out of just looking at the wobbles of stars, right. the Doppler, Doppler yeah, yeah. shifts. Yeah. yeah, but the point is you don't Same have to concept. wait yeah. forever to see it happen no, again. No, no, we don't want to wait 10 years to see a whole, yeah. you know, to see a transit. It's happening on the scale of like wobbler. hours. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we had we know there's lots of planets with these short periods, and as you say, we know there's quite a few of them that are Jupiter-sized. They may not be the most common types of planets in the galaxy, but we've spotted enough of them that sure. we, we know that they're out there. So eventually, we ought to see one of them get gobbled up. Is yeah. the point? Well, well, that that's that's clue number one. Sure. So clue number two is that we don't tend to see planets around these giant stars. Okay. Then once once a star sort of starts evolving, starts to turn into some of these giants, super giants, they we just don't see planets ah, anymore. I see where you're going with this, and so mm. because we don't see them, like why don't we see? Why don't we see planets that are well? Maybe they used to be there, mm. <laughs> but maybe they're not there anymore. Yeah. Oh, why? What happened to them? Well, maybe this is what happened to them. Exactly. Maybe they got gobbled exactly. up. And indeed, when you go and look at those, the systems that we do have uh, with these very short periods, very close to their host stars, they're not old systems. So they're not systems that have been hanging around there for billions and billions and billions of years. Okay. They're fairly young. So you've only got young ones that are, are that we do see. You, you go and look at the older evolved stars, you don't see them anymore. There's no planets there anymore. No. What happened to the planets? Yeah. think we might have just spotted one on the way out. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, in fact, estimates say that maybe these kind of consumption events, if you want to nice. call them that. <laughs> is that what they're called? If not, they should be. Oh, I'm, I'm pretty sure star consumes planet is a yeah. you know, valid term in astrophysics <laughs> now. Um, but we expect one to happen maybe every um, one to maybe even ten a year to happen in our galaxy. In our galaxy. Yeah. Right. Somewhere between one and ten would happen every year in our galaxies, we estimate. So watch this space. We probably gonna. I mean, this is the first one, but yeah. that's the floodgates open now. Yeah, we're well, probably, we know what we're looking we'll for. We'll be tripping over them all the time. Wow, Another star maybe. eating a planet. That's quite cool, though, isn't it? It is you very can cool. See. It is see cool. You. I like the way it's both completely expected and ordinary, and yet just so cool that mm. we actually spotted one. 
mm. in the process of it happening. That's yeah. cool. So the logical next sort mm-hmm. of step, if mm-hmm. you like. The this next, is where it gets uncomfortable, right? The next right? leap in the imagination is, oh, yeah, yeah okay, well, you know, this this was a fairly ordinary, probably solar-ish mass yeah. star that's now evolved into this planet-consuming monstrosity. Mm-hmm. I can think of another solar mass star not terribly far away. <laughs> um, it, it, Emily, is what you're alluding to here that this is ultimately our fate? Do we have this to look forward to? Yeah, maybe. Maybe? Maybe. I mean, we're not an enormous Jupiter-sized planet orbiting around it with a period of a day. We're a bit further out and a bit smaller. Yeah, but our sun is going to blow up into one of these giants at some point. Yeah. Yeah. So the sun will go through this giant phase. Um, It is going to expand. It will definitely encompass the orbits of Mercury and Venus. Okay, that's that's getting uncomfortably close even at that point. Yeah, um, definitely. All the other things, other uh, this is the other rabbit hole that I, I've, I've pulled back away from to leave for another episode. The details of how the Earth is going to turn horrible <laughs> in the next five billion years. You read about that all day. That's but, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. But uh, you know, the, the Earth's temperature is going to rise because of the um, the t- increase in temperature of the sun. We will lose our oceans. I mean, we a- think we've got problems now. Yeah, well, <laughs> this is yeah. We'll run away greenhouse effect. And the atmosphere. <laughs> Got to have an atmosphere to have a greenhouse effect. Well, <laughs> We're not going to have one at this point, surely. Well, well be CO two, just well, CO two. Yeah, yeah. Good. That, that's all. That's all you need. And water vapor to Good. have a greenhouse effect. It's just Venus, right? You yeah. know, that's the. I'm just thinking. By the time the the sun is that big, won't we kind of pretty much lost our atmosphere anyway, <laughs> just well, from the sheer? Well, this is this is before the sun even gets. Oh, right. okay. this big. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this enough. is you know earlier days this is yeah. in the next kind of two to three billion years then right. this all this is happening yeah i mean that was going to be my next question is do we have to worry about this anytime soon i'm guessing no we're talking time scales of like billions of years two at least the best estimates say that in 2.8 billion years the earth will be uninhabitable okay good well we've got a bit of time um the t- temperature surface temperature will be maybe somewhere around about 150 degrees yes yeah, getting warm yeah. So, how big will the sun be at that point? Like, is, has, has it really the, started to expand uh, at that point? Not too much. So that's only what we. It's four and a half. That's six. Uh, that's just over seven, right? Billion years of the sun's age. Okay. It'll it'll have started because it will be brighter, and mm. you know, it's it's causing some started some, its inflation. But uh, the main kind of engulfment period is somewhere between seven and a half to eight billion years of time after the. Yeah, so the sun's currently at four and a half to five so we're talking about up to when it's seven and a half to eight billion years old so what i hear you saying is don't worry about it because the planet will be utterly uninhabitable way before we get actually swallowed up by the star well yeah but i mean <laughs> i think we've got to worry about the next small, hundred years let alone the, yeah. <laughs> you know, the next few billion but put things in perspective it's yeah. still wonderful to play this out in our minds yes. right yeah yeah so the wonderful thing, well, the, not wonderful. Let's let's say I, the thing I find most intriguing about this whole thing is it's actually not obvious whether or not the Earth will be consumed. Right. We seem to be right on this kind of tipping point of will the Earth be eaten by the sun or not? Because whilst all this temperature rising and etc. is happening. Uh, it's estimated that the Earth may move, well, will move in its orbit. So we're currently at one astronomical unit from the Sun. By definition. Yeah, because yeah. that's the distance that we are from the Sun. Yeah. It's estimated that the Earth will move as the Sun loses mass throughout its 
this end point of its life. The Earth will move outwards to up to maybe 1.5 times okay. the current distance. So that's kind of quite far away. So the, the, the sun is losing mass, but it's starting to expand. It's getting bigger, but we're retreating. Yeah. We're moving away. So the question, first question is, are we moving away fast enough? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, or far, game, far enough. Game chase um, here. Best estimates say that maybe the sun's will, sun will come up to about 1.2 times the current. Might just, just skate around the edge. But thumbing our nose at it. That would all be fine if you were only talking about loss of angular momentum. Right. Uh, so that process of the Earth moving outwards. Right. But of course, there's this other process that we alluded to before. The drag part, drag. where we'll be losing energy and spiraling in. Mm, especially because we've got this extra mass from the yeah, sun yeah. that's Being puffing flung out, out our way. Yeah. So yeah. that will pull us back inwards. So any idea which one of those is going to win? Well, no. It seems to be kind of all in the balance here. Oh. Aren't we special? Yeah, <laughs> something like that. So, you know, there's a 50-50 seemingly chance that mm. the Earth will be eaten by the sun. Or yeah. maybe it won't. I mean, that's that's really interesting in a sort of very moot point kind of way. <laughs> you know, oh. is, that a, is that a victory if we manage to avoid being eaten? I don't know. It's curious, though. Well, yes. I mean, if you want to really put a fine kind of point on it. Yeah. It will happen eventually. Okay. Because if you just run time forever. <laughs> just keep that simulation going. Yeah. Right. What happens is eventually the sun goes through. All the rest mm -hmm. of its evolutionary phases it turns into a white dwarf. That white dwarf cools down. We just have a blob of sure. stuff, yep. which used to be the sun. Yep. And let's, let's assume at that point the Earth is still there and it's still orbiting around said white dwarf. Yep. This black dwarf. Yep. Uh, at that black point. Dwarf. Black blob. dwarf. Yeah. It loses yep. its whiteness. It becomes black. Right. Okay. Because it's re radiated all of its Again, temperature. Fun right. thing to look forward to. That, that, that blob of Earth that's left over will eventually crash and <laughs> right It'll just, just eventually just slowly but surely spiral down and go yeah. and that's it yeah yeah it's a really depressing future to look forward to i kind of like the whole let's get eaten by the big by the big giant star bit i think that's a better way to go not the cold dark no that just feels a bit Dink. too <sighs> just it's giving up at that point just oh yeah. right fine that's, We're that's done usually here. how the universe works is to play to our emotions right <laughs> that's right that existentially curious place to, to wind up the episode. I'm not quite sure how I feel about all of that, Emily. No, I, I, I want to do a whole episode on how the Earth is just going to be awful in oh, the future. Okay, yeah. That, well, maybe that can be the first thing to go up on the whiteboard is awful ways for the Earth to go out mm. at the end of days. Um, but... Today, yeah, I'm not really sure how I feel at the end of this one. Listeners, if you want to get in touch and tell us how you feel at the end of this episode, do you feel sort of elated at the thought of being gobbled up by an enormous star? Do you feel slightly depressed at the thought of slowly spiralling down towards a black dwarf? Or does all of it seem a bit moot, given that none of us will be here? Maybe we should just turn the lights off and, you know, yeah, and just spare the environment. Last, last one out, close the door behind <laughs> you. So listen, if you want to get in touch with any of these thoughts, then there are loads of ways that you can do that. Emily, give us one. You can go to syzygy.fm. You can. What's there? S-Y-Z-Y-G-Y dot F-M. There is a wonderful little contact us page. There is. There fun. is. It's really nice to, to check the email every once in a while and see, oh, there's an email. Someone's got in touch with us through the I, website. I wish, I wish I had the <laughs> Oh, there's an email response. Don't look opening my inbox. How often do you actually get a, yeah, that's a nice email to get. So do do get in touch, even if it's just to say, hey, we're out here and we're listening. It'd be, it'd be like getting 
contacted by aliens from outer space. It's just nice to know that they're there, mm. you know. Um, other ways that you can be in contact with us, we do the Instagrams. Yep. At SyzygyPod, or one word, S-Y-Z-Y-G-Y-P-O-D. We are on the Facebooks too, mm-hmm. in that way that you just do on Facebook, which is you just search for us. Syzygy yeah. Podcast. We're out there. If you want to support the show, there's a bunch of ways that you can do that. One of them is to just tell everyone you know. Get in touch with those friends, family members, people that you think would get a kick out of things like how is the earth going to come to an end? Tell them about the show. Point them in the direction of the podcast because the more people who know about us, the more we're doing our job. In particular, you can give us a rating or a review and that helps us to rise up through the podcast universe noise and more people will be able to find us. The last way you can support us is, of course, you can become a financial member of the show. You can go to patreon.com slash syzygypod and throw a couple of bucks, a couple of pounds, a couple of your own particular currency our way, and it helps to keep the electrons flowing through the website and helps us to do what we do. Otherwise, I mean, we're doing pretty well here, Emily. We've been managing pretty much roughly weekly mm-hmm. for a little while now, so let's keep that going. What's next week? Is it we have Black Hole Week? Is it I don't know. Neutron well, Star Week? Or? It's the coronation here in the UK, so maybe there's there's something regal, regal, regal astronomy. There's the Crown Nebula, I think. Oh, let's Car- have a look Carina, at that. yeah. Look, we can't guarantee something royal-themed, but we'll have a look at it. Probably the only thing that is going to be royal-themed about the coming week for me. I don't know about you, Emily. Why don't we call it quits there? Listen, we'll be back again in roughly a week. Until then, Emily, catch you later. See you later. Bye, everybody. Bye.